Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, my man, what's going on? Not too much, Steve. Another Wednesday, another episode of the Growth EQ Podcast. Today, we are coming at you with a quick episode on daily habits that support health and performance. That's right. And you know, I think I just said performance. What I meant to say was performance. (laughs) All right. Well, we're we're not all perfect here, Brad. But you know what could help you up your game? What's that, Steve? Maybe even make you better at at your pronunciation. If you were part of our Patreon group. I am. Well, maybe you need to start reading and 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 uh, following the stuff on there because what we have on our Slack and Discord channel. Or that's, coming to our monthly book clubs. That's right. If you showed up and listened to some of the experts that we have on, some of the world-renowned authors that we have coming, you might not mess up as much. Well, I'm there and I still mess up. So we can't promise that joining our Patreon group will help your pronunciation. But what we can promise is it will give you all kinds of neat access to as Steve mentioned, authors in our monthly book club, a new Slack channel where the community discusses everything related to sustainable excellence and well-being, um, early copies of the books that we put out, guides to resilience and sustainable success. Um, I think we got some stickers in the works, so all kinds of neat stuff on the Patreon It allows us to keep this show sponsorship-free, so we don't have to hawk any products and services. It is as little as $5 a month. Go sign up at www.patreon.com backslash The Growth Equation. Now, the key here, Brad, for this episode is we don't have to hawk stuff that, that sells you, you know, eternity and life and health and all that good stuff. Because that's important, because that allows us to get at what actually works. And today we're going to talk about, as Brad mentioned, our daily health and performance habits that both of us utilize to, you know, kind of find that balance of um, performing well, being healthy over the long haul. Without obsessing. Yes. That's the key. It's something that comes up all the time uh, in, in coaching sessions which is what is the minimum effective dose or the dose where diminishing marginal returns are not yet present for this sort of stuff. And I think that all too often what happens here, as is the case in so many other things, is people gravitate toward the extremes. So you've got the self-improvement biohackers who obsess nonstop about various health and performance habits. And you could live your whole life just trying to check off the list of all these things that are allegedly going to make you live forever and crush it all the time. Or you've got a lot of people that just say to hell with it. I can't possibly do all this. Life is hard enough as it is. I'm just going to show up and do the best I can. And in between that kind of obsessive rigidity and total freedom and flexibility, it is our belief that there are some things that 
just about, if not everyone can do, that make a big difference in terms of how you feel and how you perform that do not require radically changing your entire life? Yes. When you try to maximize or optimize everything, you end up maximizing and optimizing nothing. So I, I think there are two key concepts that, that play off what you just talked about, which is like, know what you're trying to maximize and know what's good enough, right? If you're trying to run your best marathon, well, that tells you that you're going to have to emphasize that part of your life more. Um, but most of the things that we fall into in terms of health and performance fall into the the good enough, the minimum effective dose where we get most of the bang for buck for our buck, but don't have to like slide into being obsessed about it. And then the other thing that I think is really important when it comes to performance and health is know where you tend to be obsessive. Right? We all have our own items or or pursuits or things that that pull us towards that obsession. For example, mine is often in the realm of running, where, you know, I love running, I love seeing how how good I can be, et cetera, et cetera. So I know that that is going to pull me towards like going all in on that spot or or pursuit or being obsessed about it. And if I don't want to do that, then I have to like guard against, you know, that area of my life and be very in, intentional because that's just one of the areas where I will you know, work myself to death. So keeping those two thoughts in mind as you decide what uh, what performance practices or habits that you're going to instill, because often, you know, we go, we, we what we do can kind of backfire and we, as you said, head towards the extreme of, I'm going to try and optimize everything and have all these trackers that tell me how to optimize everything and when my sleep is perfect and when my readiness is not not um not there so the way that i like to think about this is um not surprisingly for our listeners based on the evidence and the evidence is quite clear in both clinical medicine research as well as in population and public health research that a couple things get you 99.9% of the way there when it comes to sustainable health and performance. So I'm going to name those things. And then I think we should talk about how do you take these concepts and make them into habits and at what intensity and what cadence. Sound good? Let's do it. All right. So putting in, put in my public health school hat back on from way back in the day, what actually matters? Regular physical activity and movement, the CDC recommends 150 minutes or more of moderate to intense physical activity. If you want to do the math, that's about 30 minutes, five days a week. The CDC recommends that you do not use tobacco products. That is a never use. Limit alcoholic beverages to no more than one drink a day if you're a woman, two if you're a man. That is somewhat contested. Many people think that the answer should actually be significantly less alcohol consumption. The caveat there, and I've spent a fair amount of time looking into this research because um, it's a question I'm often asked by coaching clients, is that alcohol kind of has two effects at the same time. And one effect is it can help your um, levels of stress by calming you, 
which is a protective effect and good for health in performance. And then the other effect is that it is a toxic substance and it's not good for your liver. And um, that is kind of the negative effect. So those two things tend to equal each other out, at least in the population health data, when it's one or less for women, two or less for men. All right. So we've got move your body, don't smoke, don't drink much, if at all. That's how we'll summarize it. Then we've got build community. We've got be engaged in meaningful pursuits in life. Sleep. And avoid processed foods. I like to add in nature, but those are not actually, um, excuse me, nature is not actually a part of these large population health studies, but there's enough one-off research that for my own definition of this, nature gets in there too. So then the question becomes, how do you practice these various things uh, in your own life and, and how do you make them into habits? So I'm going to start real quick with smoking because I think we'll be the briefest here. So I don't smoke. I'm very fortunate that I was never tempted to smoke when I was young. I've actually never tried a cigarette in my entire life. I don't intend on it. I think Steve is the exact same. Uh, if you are a listener and you do use tobacco products, whether it's smoking or vaping, uh, the resources available to quit are actually better than they've ever been. The success rates of quitting are quite high using some of these new programs. They can range from behavioral interventions to medical interventions. So definitely look into that. Um, you can just go over to the CDC, the NIH, basically any government large healthcare database organization will have all sorts of resources available to you. Uh, same thing on the drinking thing. If you are fortunate and you don't struggle with substances, then you want to moderate or eliminate your use of alcohol. If you do struggle with substances, once again, the good news is that the science is further along than it's ever been, and there are so many good ways to moderate and or abstain from usage. So those are the brief ones because they're just things that you ought to never do, or at the very least in the case of alcohol, do in, in significant moderation. So now let's get into movement. How do you think about movement, Steve? Yeah, so it's pretty simple. Um, with exercise, or as you framed it, movement, um, if your goal is, again, the, the kind of minimum effective dose, the CDC guidelines are a good place to start, but I like to simplify it even, even more, which is most move most days, lots of easy, occasionally hard which means essentially this you know five days a week you should do something that's relatively easy for 30 plus minutes so that means going on a jog going on a bike ride for most people as well that even includes going on a walk and i think this is where we have to separate untrained and and trained or your your level of fitness if I'm just going on an easy walk, it probably doesn't count towards my quote unquote, you know, um, aerobic exercise development. Why? Because I've a lifelong runner and my fitness is always pretty high, even when I'm not in the greatest shape because I've been running all my life. But my easy, slow run 
is essentially the equivalent of a walk for most people. Why? My heart rate's super low. Um, it's, you know, if Brad was to go on a walk and I was going on a run, our heart rate would probably be about the same. Um, so anyways, sorry, I love digging on Brad here on this exercise, this side. But anyways, what we often get wrong about easy, easy exercises, we think, or exercise in general, is we tend to think it has to be hard and we need to sweat a lot or we need to be out of breath. That's not the case for the vast majority of aerobic training that, that, you know, is tied to longevity, performance, all those good things. The, Intellectual performance, obviously. Yeah. The, the rule of thumb that I use is you should be able to have a full conversation. If you can't, you're not going easy enough. Okay. So rule of thumb, five days a week, 30 plus minutes. Again, for a lot of people, that's walking. Don't feel bad about it. Sometimes it's walking for a while and then transitioning to a walk jog, right? Alternating. You're such a runner because you still go into walk jog. All I do is walk briskly and I'm fine. And I maintain a pretty good aerobic base just going on brisk walks. I never run. Yeah, but I would, so I would say, I, I think there's some, in, so I'm a guy who loves that you, who thinks that you need to hit on like the variety of, we'll just call it energetic systems. And there is something to doing some sort of moderate work, which often is where the jog phase comes in into play. Um, the other, but the more important thing I think is the occasionally hard, which for most people, I classify it by once every, I don't know, about 10 days. Sometimes I'll say once a week because it's easier to conceptualize that. But you should do something where you get kind of out of breath. Doesn't have it shouldn't be to the extreme. It shouldn't be like you're collapsing, you're done, you can't, you're exhausted, whatever have you. But something that just puts where your breathing is is challenging and you go from having a full conversation to being able to say a, a short sentence or two and that's about it. And I think that's important from a physiological standpoint of pushing your heart rate up, like letting your your muscle and, and body uh, deal with a little bit of acidity and being thrown out of its kind of um, um, homeostatic, you know, norms. But it also has to do with psych psychology and the sense of reminding yourself what it feels like to deal with that discomfort and, and navigate it. Good points. So let's see. For me, what this looks like is I strength train four days a week for about an hour. That generally involves some kind of circuit in there where my heart rate does get somewhat elevated. And then I walk the dog as fast as I can, but always a walk for about 45 minutes to 55 minutes every day. And that turns into like a three to four mile loop, depending on how much time we have. And that's it. Uh, I don't do anything else. And yeah, you know, could I touch my like high end capacity through sprints and stuff? Probably. But that to me gets beyond minimum effective dose for now. So one thing that I should add is that both of us are in our 30s. So we're OK or younger and still have this capacity. I think two things. Strength training becomes more important as you age, okay? 
because we know muscle mass deteriorates, coordination starts to drop, et cetera. If we can maintain that over the long haul, it's important. And then I also think actually doing something relatively intense, intense, again, not maximal, but relatively intense, increases in importance as, as we age too. Because we also know that our max heart rate, our 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 max capacity goes down as we age. And our ability to recruit uh, fast twitch fibers decreases as well. Um, and doing something relatively intense like maintains that and keeps keeps that there. So again, this stuff shifts. You can get, you know, I, I like to laugh and joke with Brad that I never strength train, which is to a degree true. Um, I can get away with that because I'm in my 30s. But sooner or later, I won't be able to. It's, so... But I still think we're we're doing what we always do, which is maybe we're getting a little bit too much into the weeds. I think for most people that do not have a big athletic background, or maybe they do, but they're currently focused on other areas of their life, all it really takes is a brisk walk just about every day with something else that's a little bit more intense a few times a week. That could be a run, that could be strength training, that could be dancing. Maybe you think about it like this. At the end of a brisk walk, your legs are slightly tired. Maybe you have a little sweat, but that's it. And once to three times a week, you want to be a little bit more tired and a little bit more sweaty. Uh, and that's it. That's all that it takes. It, it really doesn't take that much more. Again, we're not talking about being a world-class athlete or winning the CrossFit Games or running a marathon here. We're talking about just baseline for physical health and psychological performance. Yep. I think that that about sums it up. All right. So then next, we talked about avoiding processed foods. Uh, how do we define a processed food? So there's a million different definitions. The simplest one that I like to use is if it comes wrapped in plastic, then it's processed. If it doesn't come wrapped in plastic, it's not processed. People like to, you know, pick holes in that and be like, well, I went to the butcher and they wrapped my chicken in plastic. Well, come on, that's different than a cliff bar. So hopefully it's, uh, it's pretty clear. And, um, here again, the goal isn't perfection. The goal is, is good enough or as good as you can be. And the simplest way to do this is just to identify the stuff that you're eating that's wrapped in plastic and ask yourself what you could replace it with. That's not wrapped in plastic. Uh, uh, easy example is a bag of potato chips or a bar gets replaced with an orange or an apple or maybe an apple and some almond butter. Um, even with processed foods, the pretzels that are white cheddar flavor, probably not as good as the normal pretzels dipped in some normal cheese. Uh, so that that's really it. There's no good evidence showing that, again, we're talking about psychological performance and physical health. There's no good evidence that shows that any particular macronutrient is really like much better or much worse than the others. Uh, you need to get a bare minimum amount of protein. I think that tends to be about one gram per kilogram a day at the minimum. And then you need to eat enough fat to maintain a body fat that for men is above 7%, for women above 10 to 12 for your basic health functioning. But beyond that, it doesn't really matter. 
high fat, low fat, high carb, low carb, as long as it's low processed, you're probably doing all right. Yeah, you know, the diet area is where most people get it, dive into that obsession. You know, I talked about running is where my kind of obsessiveness comes in. A lot of times in the the health and performance field, it, it tends to be the diet, right? It's because we can track things because there's like science behind stuff, but it's not a well, it's like still a um, relatively new uh, science with nutrition and all that good stuff. So there's lots of contradictory studies and it's very complex. So it's hard to kind of divide and nuance out, you know, it out of it. So what tends to happen is we go to these extremes. And that's why I think simple ideas and simple rules are important. In my life, how this works is I don't strive for perfection. I strive for good enough, which means a couple different things. Most, almost every single day, I eat the same thing for breakfast and lunch, maybe a little bit of variation, but most of my variation comes at, at dinner time. And that allows me to have like the consistency of like not thinking too much about it while knowing that my breakfast and lunch are going to be, you know, healthy and straightforward and all that good stuff. Um, and then the other thing that I think is key here is, you know, we said like avoid processed foods, but again, you're not looking for perfection. You're looking for good enough with sanity for most of this stuff. So the, the way I t- tend to look at it is what are the things that, you know, I'm, I might eat that are processed or quote unquote junk that, you know, are what all for lack of a better term, I'll say are my must haves and then just have like one or two of those in the minimal amount and um, try and replace all the other stuff with, you know, decent, nutritious food. Yep. Love it. And for those that are interested, we went deep on diet a couple episodes ago. Um, I am pulling that one up right now. It was called Longevity Diet and Changing Your Relationship with Excellence. So if you really want to dive into the nutritional element of stuff and you haven't yet heard that podcast, um, definitely worth checking out. All right. So we've taken care of the big four. Next up comes community, which is about having a felt sense of belonging and connection to other people in your life. And this can be both physical and psychological connection. And um, unsurprisingly, the evidence shows that the more of each, the better. Yeah, I mean, again, I think this one is relatively straightforward and we talk about it all the time. Actually, all of these are relatively straightforward. That's why they work. Um, (laughs) For connection and community, I think it's important to have it on, on several different layers, right? So for both Brad and I were married. So we have that connection like built in, but you have to like take time to support, navigate, et cetera. Um, all of that good stuff. So uh, for my community or connection, part one is, you know, making sure that my wife and I's relationship is strong and robust and like we're spending time and making time uh, for each other. So it's intentionally like blocking out time and making sure that work doesn't, you know, intrude on that or making sure that we're doing things that we like together. And then you branch out a little bit and you have your like close community, which is people who live in the same city, city or area 
who you connect with and making sure to me um, that's making sure that I'm going out to eat with, you know, um, having coffee with, you know, going to watch a track meet with, that's just me, but it's one of our things, uh, with friends who, you know, I like and get along with and, and can shoot the shit with and, and chat with. And then beyond that, I think it's having what I'd call, you know, people, and this doesn't have to necessarily be in your community, but people who you can go deep with which means having time for those like conversations where you're wrestling with things that matter and uh, wrestling with things that, you know, are intriguing and interesting. I think having people that you get beyond kind of the, the superficial and the hanging out to like, Hey, let's um, let's go deep on something is very important. Yeah. The only thing I'd add there is in regards to, um, romantic or intimate partnership, the relationship counselor Esther Perel speaks really eloquently about how you don't want your partner to be a Swiss army knife. So they can't be everything always to you. And as community outside of relationship contracts, then that puts more pressure on the relationship. So it's like this Goldilocks middle way where you need to prioritize the relationship and make time for it. And if you put it too high on a pedestal or design too much around it, then suddenly the expectations for it become overwhelming. Uh, So I think that that's a really important and unique insight. Um, Esther Perel argues, again, compellingly, that part of the reason that we see such high divorce rates is not just because anything's wrong with the marriage structure of these people, but because of the decline of community and that decline of community then is associated with increased pressure and expectations on the relationship. So, um, it's a hard one cause it's not an excuse to totally check out on your partner and like go for beers or go shopping, but you also do need to at times go for beers or go shopping with someone that's not your partner to help the partnership. Uh, so, Again, that's that's not my thinking. That's Esther Perel's, but I, I tend to agree with it. And then the only other thing that you didn't mention is um, for those that have neighbors, whether it is in a suburban neighborhood, an urban apartment or condo, uh, for students in college listening, people in your dorm, it's really good also to cultivate community and those bonds with people that are in your physical presence. Uh, This goes way back to our species evolution uh, when being alone put you at risk for starvation. If your hunt was unsuccessful and you weren't in a group, no one would share their food with you, you'd die, or from being attacked by predators. So you're alone on the savannah, a pride of lions comes along, you're screwed. But if you're in a big group, then you're not screwed. I talked about this a little bit in Groundedness, but I just think it's fascinating that the reason that loneliness is so often associated with insomnia and waking up in the middle of the night is because, again, if when we were evolving, you were alone, you couldn't fall asleep. Because if you fell asleep, no one would look out for you from from predators. Uh, so it's it's really not good for our physiology to to feel lonely or to be lonely, which precisely is why the the current loneliness problem is is such a big one. All right, so. That is community. Next up is sleep. 
I recently in a presentation for a group of super driven people at a large healthcare system said that you want to sleep six to eight hours a night. And in the Q&A, someone totally dings me and they're like, six to eight hours? Like, what do you mean six? I thought it was closer to eight to nine. And I said, you are actually right. It is closer to eight to nine. I just didn't want to set the bar too high because y'all work in healthcare and seem very sleep deprived right now. So maybe we can start there with like what's perfect versus not wanting to judge yourself too harshly for not sleeping enough. Yeah. So, you know, most of the research, again, is shows in that that kind of eight to nine hour. But there's variability in this. Remember, it's always average when you're looking at research. So there's variability. There are some people who are going to be fine with seven hours, even six hours of sleep. Um, <laughs> the way I like to think about it is optimally, if you went to sleep, what time would you wake up uh, without an alarm? And that kind of gives you a baseline of where you're you're kind of at. But as Brad mentioned there, I think often with sleep, now that we know it's so important um, and it's vital and all that stuff, we almost put our set ourselves up for failure because we freak out and um, think of it like we would any other performance metric where it becomes a goal. And when things become a goal, we almost have like anxiety around not reaching them. So this is a, a case where perfection can get in the way of good enough. And often good enough is better than seeking perfection. So when it comes to sleep, get in the ballpark and see what you can do. But don't fret if you're a little outside of the norm or the, the, the quote unquote optimum. I think the other part on sleep is you need to do what what you can to set yourself up to, to sleep well, right? In terms of, you know, bedtime and rituals and, you know, um, staying off screens and all that stuff. But again, going back to the point we made at the beginning around obsession is if it becomes something you're obsessed over, then you're going to create anxiety around it and then your whole ritual, routine, et cetera, is actually going to backfire. And we're increasingly seeing this with the uh, sleep uh, tracking apps and that are increasingly um, popular is that often what happens is they create anxiety because you're sitting there and you're like, it's 11 o'clock. I need to be up at you know, 6 a.m. I need to go to sleep right now to get enough uh, enough of sleep so I'm rested and recover and able to perform. And you end up creating anxiety and uh, inability to go to sleep. And then you wake up in the morning and you see your watch says you only got six hours and only so many of it was deep sleep and all that stuff. And it just creates this this harmful cycle. So if that's happening to you, like take the sleep tracking away, stop trying to optimize and go for good enough. Mm. And explore the other things in your life long before the setting up your surroundings at night that could also be leading to deteriorating sleep. So are you constantly super stressed out by work? And if so, maybe you need to get upstream of sleep and try to solve that problem. Uh, do you spend a ton of time with your attention fractured, switching from one thing to the next. There's great research that shows that that can disrupt sleep. So 
it is not only making sure that in the hour or two before bed and overnight, the surroundings are supporting sleep, but it's also getting way upstream of that. Um, there's a, a, a whole line of work that shows that trying to get outside early on in the day is really helpful because it helps your body's circadian rhythm realize, okay, it's the morning and you get the wake up hormones that then run on a, you know, 12 to 16 hour clock and come down in time for sleep. Uh, so if you think about how we, again, evolved over, if you think of our species history as 24 hours over the last 23 hours and 58 minutes or whatever, it was, you wake up with the sun and you go to sleep with the dark. And that's not practical for many people right now, especially depending on where you live. Some places it gets dark early and stays dark until late in the morning. But in general, this circadian rhythm is definitely a part of, um, of our, our, our DNA. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, uh, it's all kind of hormonal. So the more we, uh, get that on track, the other thing that I'd also mention is often, if you look at it, consistency trumps like, you know, optimal hours. So if you're consistently getting, let's say six and a half hours of sleep a night, that beats getting four hours, one, nine hours, the next, you know, five hours, the night after that, eight hours after that, the consistency, um, often is more important. All right. And then last but not least nature, we can be super brief here. And that is nature's great. If you have access to nature, you should try to use it. Um, get outside more is better. And, uh, particularly if you're feeling like really stuck or really stressed or just trapped, if you can spend a half day or if you have the ability to a full day outside disconnected, it does a wonderful job of helping you reset perspective. Nature's great. It's restorative. All, all sorts of good research on this one. We've written about it. We've talked about it, but nature restores our energy, our attention. Uh, it leads to creativity. It actually will help you heal faster. There's some research on that as well. So getting outside is important. Um, I do this every day thanks to not only running, but walking my dog. So it's a great place where you can stack some of these things where you can combine exercise or fitness and movement with being in a park or somewhere with some trees or some something nice to look at um where you get you get double the benefit that also means i should add that you should if you can do that without you know listening to this podcast, even though we're going to listen, lose some listeners on this, listening podcasts, music, et cetera, just being outside in nature and letting your body and mind absorb the natural environment is, is really important as well. Agree. Although I, I will say that podcast in nature is better than podcast, not in nature. Unfiltered nature is better than filter nature. Uh, sometimes you know, it just is that, Hey, this is your time to listen to a podcast. And I don't say that because I want you to listen to ours because that will ruin your nature experience. But, um, because I often like to listen to my favorite podcast, which is the Ezra Klein show on walks, because that's the only time that I have an hour to an hour and a half undistracted to listen to it. So again, we're not, we're not searching for perfection here. We're searching for, uh, for what works for you and good enough. And then we did almost forget, but we're not going to, is the importance of meaning and or purpose 
and having a sense that you matter and that your life matters. And what's nice about this is it is very much built into a lot of these other habits as well, particularly community and belonging. So if you feel like you're a part of a community and belonging, it's a great source of meaning. Uh, And then the other people or the other place, excuse me, that people get this from these days is often from their work. So uh, if you can find a job or have a job where you feel like it's meaningful, that's great. And if not, if you can work to do what researchers call job craft or try to take your current job that might not feel so meaningful and try to make it more meaningful to you, that's great too. Yeah, the one thing I'd add is similar to what you said in relationships is uh, don't try and fulfill all of your your meaning and purpose in one one avenue. Diversify your sources of meaning. The, the other thing I'd add as well is that I like to think of this not only in, as meaning and purpose, but like doing things where you feel at times... Uh, fully engaged and if you do that fully engaged maybe feel like you're in flow feel like you're experiencing the joy of something i think that is it it adds or enhances to to all of these things and, and kind of fills your bucket so whether again that can be in work that can be in community that can be in movement and exercise it's a lot of different paths towards that love it all right so we just went through the big menu Move, sleep, community, nature, meaning, avoid processed foods, no smoking, no drinking, or very little drinking. We gave all kinds of examples. We talked about the science. You might be thinking, all right, well, this seems like a lot to do. And um, it can seem like a lot to do. So I figured it would be wise for us to share our non-negotiables or the minimum effective dose in our own lives. And the way that I'm going to do this mirrors what was in the newsletter this week. And if you happen to be listening Wednesday, you get a sneak peek of the newsletter because it comes out Thursday. And I was thinking about this in my own life. What are my three non-negotiable daily practices for physical and mental well-being? My three non-negotiable weekly practices? And then my three non-negotiable monthly practices? So here we go. Daily practices. These are the things that I try to be quite rigid about. 45 to 90 minutes of physical activity, at least one deep focus block of 60 to 90 minutes on good and meaningful work. So that means no distractions. And then to the extent possible, go to sleep between 9 and 10 p.m. and wake up between 6 and 7 a.m. And if I can do those three things every day, that gives me a great baseline. I don't need to do anything else. I don't need to wear a Fitbit. I don't need to track my nutrition. I don't really even need to pay too much attention to what I eat. I don't need to run. I don't need to worry about going to the gym, though going to the gym can be that physical activity. But when it's really bare bones, it's just a 45-minute walk, a block of 60 to 90 minutes of deep work, and getting sleep. And that can carry me through for quite a long time. So those are my three daily practices. Steve, if you had to name your three daily minimum effective dose practices, what would they be? Yeah, I mean, mine wouldn't be any different, I don't think. <laughs> I mean, it would be get enough sleep. Mine wouldn't be just exercise. Mine would probably be go on a run that is at least 30 minutes. And then I, I think similarly is like spend time doing something, some meaningful work. I think if I do those things and I, I feel pretty good about myself. All right, let's go on to weekly. 
So minimum effective dose weekly habits or practices. At least three long walks outside. This is where I'm getting the nature in. And again, those long walks count towards the daily physical activity. It's not like I'm layering this on top. Get together with good friends in person at least once. And then get stuck in a good book that gets my intellectual and creative mind going. Those all sound good and reasonable. What about you, Steve? What are your weekly baseline practices? It's a good question. And since I didn't write about this in the newsletter, I'm not as prepared as you are. So off the fly, again, I don't think it's it's too different. Um, I think... Mine is, it's kind of what I talked about in the, in the, uh, in the exercise part. I like to run five, at least five days a week with one, one of those days being something hard. I think that doing something hard for me is important at this point. So once a week doing something hard, um, I think, yeah, the connection and, and belonging is important as well. And then the other thing I would say, maybe reading as well, but I would say, have at least one of my days be um without much without much uh, technology meaning i'll still use it but maybe the way to conceptualize it is one day a week where i'm like living in in 1999 mm. that's great love it so then for the three monthly practices For me, it's one chunk of meditation, contemplation, or some other form of deliberate reflection on like who I am and what I'm doing here and how I'm spending my time and energy. Um, Mirroring Steve's 1999, I go a little bit further, but again, Steve does that once a week. I do this once a month. I have one day where I'm completely offline. So this means that the phone and the computer are in a place that I don't know. I have my wife, Caitlin, hide them so I can't go get them. And I'm offline for an entire day. And then one day that is mainly outdoors. And that day tends to be mostly offline just because I'm outside. And I'd rather just be outside than checking my my phone outside. Um, so those are my my monthly things where if I don't do those things at least once a month, I start to feel not so great. That's great. I don't know. putting you on the spot. Do you have any monthlies, Steve? I would say doing something that is like meaningful and engaging and brings like like intense joy or something like that. You know, beyond the kind of normal stuff. So I I don't know. Um, it could be like taking a trip with my wife somewhere new and going on a very long hike or or something to that degree. It's like. Or like not just having coffee with a friends, but like, you know, spending a whole afternoon, you know, shooting the shit, doing something fun, et cetera. I think something that like pushes that that boundary of engagement and interest is important to do. All right. And then last but not least, um, three never do's. I think this is also really important to have. And obviously we're sharing this with you, not because what we do is special, but because we're going to encourage you to come up with a similar list of weekly, excuse me, daily, weekly, monthly, three baseline practices, and then your never do's. My never do's are, I never smoke. As I mentioned, I never have, I don't ever anticipate I will. Uh, I never have more than two drinks in a day. And I rarely, if ever do that, 
Uh, I really enjoy the feeling of having a beer or two or three, but I've come to dislike the feeling the next morning of a stuffy nose and a headache even more. So this isn't out of like some moral superiority. I'm fortunate that I don't have substance abuse problems. This is purely just that the cost of the hangover outweighs any benefit of those drinks. And uh, I have a very low tolerance because of that. And then my third never do is I never watch cable news. And that's a hard and fast rule that I have because it just makes me miserable. All right. I mean, I would agree with all of those. Um, we don't have cable news, so I can't watch it. Thank God. That's a I, good point. I actually think we don't have cable news anymore either. I don't. I wouldn't even know. It's been a rule for so long. Yeah. No, we don't have it. So um, not smoking. I, the one I would add as well is I don't pull all-nighters ever. Yeah. You know, yeah. never going to do that. So That's not true. If if y'all are um, ever have a kid, you will pull all-nighters. Yeah. Well, that's true. No, you will. <laughs> There's no way around it. Like I, like, I was just thinking, can I honestly say that in my list? In freaking Theo's four, in, unless I sleep in the basement for a month straight, there's no guarantee that that will be the case. Okay. Well, for those of us who don't have kids, I'm not going to have an all-nighter unless it's uh, for a future for a future kid. Now, I get what you're saying there. Um, no deliberate all-nighters or no all-nighters that are um, striving for something instead of reacting to a living being. Love it. Okay, so again, um, we think it's a good practice. We're going to talk about it in the newsletter tomorrow on Thursday um, because it can feel like there's so much going on and there's so many options to choose from and there's all these things that are supposed to help you live longer and better uh, and do better as well to get some minimum effective dose or some baseline practices, particularly when you're really busy or things are encroaching on your time and energy. You can just kind of say, hey, these are the non-negotiables. Very few people skip brushing their teeth. They make sure they brush their teeth. What we're trying to do is give you some other habits that become as important for your own sense of uh, health, well-being, and excellence. Love it. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our Patreon group. And if you enjoyed, consider sharing this with someone who maybe. You know, maybe they're on the, the extreme and they're trying to optimize everything. Well, this might bring them back to reality in, in the middle. So and if that's you and you're on that that journey, we welcome you and we're here to support you. So hopefully this was helpful. And um, until next time, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.